everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Our Golden Twenties. My name is Sadie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tegan, and today we are talking to Sarah Vermont. Sarah is a Toronto-based career coach, former business professor, founder of Careergasm, and the best-selling author of Careergasm and Career Rookie. She helps people figure out what the heck they want so they can quit their jobs that they hate and do work that feels good. Her work has been featured at Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and lots of other cool places and amazing publications. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on Our Golden 20s. We are so excited to have you on today. Do you want to maybe start by telling our listeners about yourself and how you ended up becoming a career coach? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the founder of a company called Careergasm, which is a career change company. And I'm a very special kind of career coach. I'm not your typical career coach. Most people, when they think career coach, they think like, you know, someone to help with resumes or networking or polish up your LinkedIn profile. And that is not me. I tend to work with people who have jobs that they hate, that they would love to quit, but do not know what they want. So I work with people who feel super freaking lost. You know, usually by the time people reach me, they've been struggling for a couple of years and they just don't know how to move to what's next because they don't know what that next thing is. So they feel really stuck in a job they don't like. And how I got mm-hmm. to become a career coach and how I started Careergasm was with my own code red meltdown in my own career. I used to be <laughs> a business professor and I worked very hard to get onto that career track, invested lots of time and energy and money. And I really loved the teaching part of that job and mm-hmm. really, really really strongly disliked the research part, which is about Mm. 80% of the job. And so I really, you know, tried to hang in there for a couple of years, but it wasn't for me. Found myself having a very public breakdown in the middle of a crowded Starbucks one day, (laughs) and I gave notice the next day and decided to help people with career changes. I mean, the ultimate irony of my Mm. own career breakdown is the thing I was researching was workplace happiness. And so the irony of hating (laughs) research while, you know, my career was in research while researching workplace happiness, you know, there was a real disconnect there. And so I'm very happy that I found my way to the work I'm doing now. And also because I had that experience, I have a ton of empathy for the people I work with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. You've gone through it firsthand. So that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think this is perfect because the reason we really wanted to talk to you is because we've recently been getting like a lot of DMs and questions from listeners saying like, I'm reevaluating my career and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like the pandemic made me shift priorities and I hate my job or I see the people around me making career moves while I feel like I'm not. So what would your advice be for the people who aren't really sure what their passion is or who don't know what they want to do for a living that will actually kind of bring them joy? Mm-hmm. Well, how long do you have? Cause I have lots of <laughs> advice. Well, you know what? Even before I give advice, I would like yeah. 
what, what I'd first like to do is normalize that experience for people mm -hmm. because the truth is um, 93% of people who are 25 have different career goals than they had when they first entered college or university. So that oh, means yeah. only 7% of people when they're in their mid twenties are like, I'm right on track. And the other 93% of people are having like breakdowns because they thought they were going to do a thing. And then maybe they hated it in school or they're on a track and it doesn't feel as good as it did when they first started. So this is a really, really normal experience to feel lost in your career, especially in your twenties. Because if you think about it, we grow and evolve so much in our late teens and especially our early 20s. And so it makes sense that the thing you thought was going to be like it and the mm -hmm. path ultimately isn't it for a lot of people. So I guess that's my first bit of advice is like really try to be gentle with yourself because I notice that at least with my clients, they often come in feeling like, an epic failure or something, or like they've done wrong, right. or they made the wrong choice. Mm. And it's just not, not true. What probably happened is they outgrew something that they once thought was probably going to be a good fit, or maybe they had someone in their life that really strongly encouraged them to go for something. Right. And they felt lost at the time. They were like, oh, well, you know, my dad's a smart guy. I guess I'll, you know, accounting sounds solid or whatever mm -hmm. it is. I mean, yeah. Accounting is great if that's your thing. Don't be <laughs> on accounts. I have some very I have some very happy accountant clients. So no shade to accountants. That was just an example. But you know, there's a lot of people in their 20s who maybe you know, took took some advice and hoped it would work out or tried something that doesn't fit anymore and now they're yeah. feeling not only lost but also very discouraged and maybe self-critical about it. Right. So trying to be gentle with yourself is probably the first bit of advice and then the second bit of advice I would give folks who are unhappy with their career is I believe very strongly in getting clarity first before moving to strategy. So I always say clarity mm -hmm. first, strategy second, because here's what happens when you're in a job that you don't like. You panic and you go right to the job boards, right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what mm -hmm. you're looking for, first of all, it's super discouraging. Yeah. But also, it's hard to do an effective, good job search if you don't know what you're looking for. Right. And so yeah. I always tell people, like, if you could just pause for a couple of months, like I only work with people for three month periods, like literally all it takes is like pause for three months, let yourself off the hook, stop looking at the job postings and just figure out what you want first. And then things get so much easier because you're not just casting this massive net for a bunch of random stuff that you kind of cross your fingers and hope works out. Yeah, I think that's so true. And even in my experience, like by the time I am start looking for another job, I'm just so desperate to get out of yeah. the job <laughs> I currently have that I'm like, I'll literally take whatever comes up, you know, like, yeah, I just need out of here. I don't really think about, well, what is it about this job that I hate so much, you know, or why mm -hmm. am I so desperate to get out of it? And then, you know, the same thing happens where then, okay, I accept a new job, but yeah. then the same problems keep reoccurring because, you know, I didn't really think it through ahead of time. So I think that is really great advice. And we're mm -hmm. all about, you know, doing things that help you gain that self-awareness. So, you know, yeah. you kind of know, like what, I guess, you're just able to reflect on what you actually do want out of your job if what you currently have isn't doing it for you anymore. So I think that is really good advice. Don't mm -hmm. panic. Think about it. 
I'm a big fan of journaling. So I'm like, journal it out. <laughs> yeah, just journal the <laughs> and hell out of it. figure it out. <laughs> yes, 100%. And I love your first point too about it's normal to outgrow things mm-hmm. and to not know what you want to do or to think you know and then change your mind. Like I think I have two older sisters and all of us were kind of lucky in the sense of we had like pretty – good clarity on what we wanted to do when we went to school, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, I know the program. And then when we were, when we were in school, we were like, okay, we like these courses. So this is probably the job we want to do, you know, but not everyone's path is that linear. And now I've been working for five years. It was exactly like you said, it's like, okay, well, what I thought I wanted to do, you know, has totally evolved. And now Mm -hmm. I'm in this totally different, like, kind of side, I work in marketing, but now I'm specifically social media and it's like this just kind of emerged like social media is new and I didn't even know this is where I was going to end up you know so I think it is good especially for people who make that decision in high school still you know and then they go to university and you know they are learning about something they think they're interested in and then they're like oh maybe it's not or maybe they love school but then they take it into the workforce full time and they're like yeah. okay this isn't quite the same as learning about it in school like mm-hmm. it is a confusing time for sure it is yeah and i remember going through that in my 20s as well so my undergraduate degree is in journalism and okay. i was pretty psyched about it when i went into journalism yeah. and i even liked journalism school and then i had my first internship and i thought this did not feel the way I wanted it to feel. And so I was one of those 93 percenters where, you know, I graduated from my undergrad with a bright, shiny journalism degree and a strong desire to not work in journalism. Mm -hmm. And so actually one of the best things I could have done for myself, really glad I did this, is I actually just kept my shitty part-time job at a retail store for a couple of months while I kind of figured out my next steps. And I'm really, really glad I didn't force myself to go down a path that I knew was wrong. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes like you need a minute between knowing what feels bad before getting to what feels good, right? Not everybody figures out what the next thing is when they're in the bad job. And so I'm a big fan of what I call just for now jobs, which is like, get Mm -hmm. a job, you know, I had a ton of student mm-hmm. debt, like most students after school, right? Mm-hmm. My parents couldn't afford to put me through school. I'd been working like two jobs, like just trying to get through. Yeah. So like, I didn't want to not work, but I knew there was this path I didn't want. And so I think it can be really good sometimes to, you know, acknowledge that maybe you're not in the like forever career path, but you're like, okay, this is a job that's going to make me a little bit of money. That way I'll have less mm-hmm. anxiety and I just need something while I figure things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. Great advice. So we're kind of talking about having a job where you like bits and pieces of it. So for me, for instance, I'm someone who I either like the people and the company, but the role, you know, could be better. Or I like the role, but the people I'm working with or the company isn't the best. Mm-hmm. So I guess what would be your advice or what would you suggest people do if they're in that situation where there's parts of the job they don't like, but other parts they do like, like when do they know to make a move and change things up? That's such a good question because even when you really love your job, there's always going to be 
parts that aren't your favorite. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm a mm-hmm. career coach that's focused on happiness and I even have little parts of my business that aren't my favorite, right? <laughs> right. Like yeah. that's just a part 100%. of work. I don't, yeah. like, I don't love yeah. the admin stuff. Um, so you're always going to have like, you know, a few bits here and there that aren't your favorite, mm-hmm. but I do think it's important to pay attention to like the proportion that you like compared to the proportion mm-hmm. you don't like. You know how I was saying I hated 80% of my job when I was a professor. Yeah. Like, that's too <laughs> that's much of your job to not yeah. like, right? So it's normal to have bits you don't like and to sort of see if you can experiment and find workarounds to make those bits more bearable or change some of your work assignments, you know, by talking to your colleagues and talking to your manager. But once you get to the point where like, there's a good chunk of your job that you don't like anymore. It's a real good idea to start thinking about what's next because you will need to get out eventually. Now, if you Mm -hmm. happen to work, your example was great. If you happen to work for a company that's wonderful and with people who are wonderful, it's great to talk to people there to see what other jobs you might potentially move into instead of just saying sayonara suckers I'm out of here now if you also if you you know if there's nothing there for you that you would like of course you're going to move on but Mm -hmm. it's not always easy to find a great company and great people and so you know particularly in your 20s and you know very often we're not used to this so we have to practice it but we have to remember that our bosses aren't mind readers. And unless we yes. express, <laughs> unless we tell them what we want and what we're looking for and what we're enjoying and what, you know, finding those delicate ways to say, here's what I'm not loving so much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a good boss will see what they can do to try to get you in a position that will make you happier Mm -hmm. because good bosses and good companies want to keep good workers, but it's our job to tell them what we need. And so I think that's something people don't do enough is they wait Mm -hmm. until they get to their breaking point, like till they're hanging by a thread, you know, crying in a bathroom stall at work to say Mm -hmm. what they need. Um, Yeah. And so starting those conversations sooner than rather than later is a really good idea. Yeah, Yeah, that's great advice. And I feel like that's something that I'm definitely guilty of is like the path of least resistance or you're grateful you have a job. So, you know, you put your head down and you do your job and then it's like little things annoy you and pick away at the job until you're like, ugh none of this is fun anymore when it's just like having the honest and frank conversations. And like you said, most of your supervisors, especially if they're a good supervisor, they want to hear about what's working and what's not. Yeah. A really great way to initiate that conversation is so some great language. If anyone listening is like, uh, how do I actually say that? So what you, the yes. language you can use is you can say something like, I'm really interested in X or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm grateful for the job I have, but in the future, I'd like to grow in the direction of X. Mm -hmm. Is there Mm -hmm. any way I could get involved in a project that's related to that just so I can get a little bit of experience or see what it's like? And so you're not saying, I want to get rid of my other duties. I need to be there now. But you're just saying, I want to grow in this direction. Usually Mm -hmm. leaders are very happy when you have the clarity to know and you express the direction you want to grow in because then they know that you do want to grow and that shows a lot of a lot of initiative so that's great language to use yeah Yeah, that's fantastic that's so good 
Yeah. yeah. And I think those conversations would be uncomfortable, but they're so rewarding, you know? And I think mm-hmm. if the conversation doesn't go the way you want it to, like maybe mm-hmm. that's just kind of something else to solidify. Okay. Maybe it is time for a change, you know, like if you're on a fence yeah. and your manager takes it really wrong and, you know, just kind of goes the other direction, then it's like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that's the nudge you need as well. <laughs> yeah. That's great confirmation that you're probably not in the right place or not working yeah, for the right exactly, person. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. At least you have the information then, right? At least you yeah. tried, at least you asked and now, you know, oh man, we've got a brick wall here. So I'm yeah. going to have to get out. Yeah, exactly. So true. Like I said earlier, we've been getting DMs of people saying, I see my friends making big career moves, or I see my friends' jobs on Instagram and it looks amazing and they get to travel or they get to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm so jealous. What would your advice be for those people who are like lurking and, (laughs) but kind of still stuck and not really feeling that level of excitement for their own career? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, what doesn't look amazing on Instagram? <laughs> those are highly, those are highly filtered versions yeah. of our lives. Um, like e- even me, I'm not posting my admin days on Instagram, yeah. right? Like we we just don't share the mundane shit on Instagram. So it's really easy to sort of slide into, you know, lurking and looking around and seeing like, oh my God, why does everybody's life and job look way better than mine? Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, take that with a rather large grain of salt, what you're seeing, particularly on social media. But also jealousy is really normal, even, you know, without social media, right? Sometimes when you see something that a friend or a colleague or even a stranger has that you want, you get those sort of pangs of desire and you're like, oh my God, like, why don't I have that? And how can I get it? There's actually two different kinds of jealousy. I don't know if you know this, but there's some research that came out maybe, oh, I don't know, five years ago or so. And it was about the difference between something called malicious envy, which is that kind of envy where you're like, you like secretly hope that that chick smell like spills coffee all over herself. Right. It's that that kind of like, kind of like low key evil jealousy. Um, And then there's something else that's called benign envy. And that is actually very productive jealousy. And that's the kind of jealousy that it's like you see somebody that has something you want and it actually motivates you to move in that direction. And so jealousy doesn't have to be a bad thing. I actually think Mm -hmm. it's all about what we do with jealousy. There's this exercise that I take my clients through that's called the green-eyed monster. And I have them identify people that they're jealous of. But then I have them like go quite deep with it and scratch the surface and say like, okay, we know you're jealous of person X. Can you tell me specifically what you're jealous of and list out a couple of things? Because we're usually not jealous of someone's life wholesale, right? There's usually Mm -hmm. very specific things we envy. It's not like we want that entire person's life. It's just there's like, there's like that little thing that they have. And so if you can get more granular and a little bit curious about your jealousy and sort of dig deeper to see what it is you're actually jealous of, that can actually be quite productive. Because then you have the clarity to know, oh, okay, they have Mm -hmm. this thing. And so that's a clue for me that I want a little bit more of that. And then you have to ask the question, how can I just find a way to like move a little bit closer to that? Is it doing a little bit of research? Mm -hmm. Is it taking a class? Is it maybe dabbling with this thing that I haven't tried before? 
but the more granular you get with your jealousy, the more instructive it can be. Mm, Yeah, I love that because I feel like anyone who would give the advice that's like, don't be jealous, like live your life. Like that's not very realistic. That's not real. (laughs) Like, no, absolutely not. Like eye roll, forget it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's like everyone feels this, everyone goes through it. Here's what you can actually do to make it like a positive in your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And And it can still feel shitty, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be wholly positive. It's like, yeah, "Eh, it doesn't feel so great, but you can probably get something good out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's so great. So talking about making huge career jumps, you know, so say you kind of do that self-reflection and you know you're using your jealousy seeing all your friends making those career jumps to your benefit and you're like okay I'm ready for this as well I feel like it takes a lot of courage to make a career jump it's a lot of leaving your comfort zone Mm -hmm. it's a lot of trying something new it's a lot sometimes a lot of risk if you're you know you have a stable job but you're maybe making a move to a different company or a different industry so what would your advice be to build up that courage and to make that move? Yeah. um, Two things come to mind. One is acknowledging that no matter what you do, it's a risk because even staying in a job that you strongly dislike is a risk, right? It's a risk to your mental health. It's probably a risk to like further choices that you would be able to make down the road. And so sometimes we forget that risk is associated with anything we do, including nothing. (laughs) Doing nothing can be quite risky. And I say that with a lot of experience from my clients behind me. Like I work with a lot of people, unfortunately, who have had a lot of mental health struggles. You know, some of them are are on sick leave because they've been so burned out from a job that has just Mm -hmm. been a terrible fit Mm -hmm. or they work for an abusive boss or so there, there are very real risks in staying on a path that is bad for you. So, you know, if you're someone who's afraid to move in a new direction, just remember that there can be risks associated with staying as well. And that, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make it easier, but it does put things into perspective a little bit. Something else I think that can be quite helpful is also to acknowledge that you don't have to be unafraid to move forward. You don't have to wait for the fear to go away before you make your move. And so just normalizing that it's, you know, totally understandable and totally normal that you would have fear and anxiety when going through a change, Mm -hmm. I think can help people take little baby steps because I think sometimes people feel like maybe there's something wrong with them that they have all sorts of anxiety about making a change and they're waiting for the anxiety to go away before they start. Mm -hmm. Like even taking the little like researchy baby steps towards that change. But a a tool that's helped for quite a few of my clients uh, and actually helped me when I was thinking about leaving my career track uh, in academia is asking yourself, what's the worst case scenario if Mm. I leave? And Mm -hmm. I don't mean worst case scenario like like nightmare, like untrue worst case scenarios. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be living in a van down by the river. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's not realistically going to happen. Um, So I'll use myself as an example, maybe. So when I was thinking about leaving my job as a professor, I thought, okay, Sarah, 
this is really scary. You worked really mm-hmm. hard to get here. So what's the worst thing that'll happen if you if you decide to build this business and move in this direction? I thought, oh my God, well, it's possible the business might not work out. And then, okay, Sarah, what's the worst case scenario if that happens? Well, mm-hmm. I guess I get a job doing something else. That's not what I hope happens, but <laughs> I've, I've had some other jobs. I even have some really great relationships with past bosses and colleagues. Like if this business I'm trying to build doesn't work out, I will, you know, get a job doing something else. And so it wasn't living in a van down by the river. It wasn't like <laughs> losing a home or, or anything like that. It was yeah. like, oh, my ego will be bruised and I will have to try something else. And as far as worst case scenarios go, that's not the end of the world. And that's the case for most people when they ask mm-hmm. themselves what the worst case scenario is. So you think the question, what could go wrong, would kill you, but actually it's very empowering. What's the worst case scenario is very freeing, in fact, when you're strong enough to ask the question. Yeah, I love that so much. That resonated so much with me. Like, I feel like I'm somebody who's always like, I'm feeling nervous and anxious about this. It's like, should I be taking that as it's the wrong thing to do? You know, like I need to wait until everything feels absolutely perfect and I'm a hundred percent sure. And if I'm not, I'm like, should I wait? Like, is this the right thing to do? So it was definitely, yeah, that really resonated with me. Oh, good. (laughs) And I agree too. Yeah. Like, and a lot of the time when I do think what's the worst thing that would happen, like you said, it's mainly, I feel I just have too much ego to try something and it not go as I had planned and have to redirect myself, you know? And it's like, why, you know, like why put that pressure on ourselves when it's really not that bad, you know, Mm -hmm. like you'll figure it out if that happens, but it might not even happen. So why do we get so worked up about it? Yeah. Yeah. And even if it does happen, we're usually okay. We're very adaptable. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're way past the days of like the linear career path where it's like you choose something when you're 17, yes. you get on that track, college or university spits you at the other side and you have a conveyor belt to retirement. That just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I think it's much more yeah. helpful to think about career as like a series of stepping stones. It's like you have like a pretty good hunch about what you want. So you take that first stepping stone. Then you're like, okay, this feels good. I'll keep going. Or, ooh, this isn't quite a good fit. Maybe I'll step to the left instead. And just sort of like evaluating as you go. Of course, you want to get in a particular direction, but there's there's not several decades of life decisions you have to make when you're 17 that way. Definitely. And also, you know, like we were saying, the whole point of being a human on planet Earth, I think, is to keep growing and changing and evolving. And it's really normal that some of your interests would change as you go through your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had one question about something you had mentioned earlier, which is I wanted to touch on burnout because this is something that we talk a lot about on our podcast. And especially now, because I feel like for both of us, November, December is like Ugh. just crazy. So what mm-hmm. would be your, you know, like tips for avoiding burnout or, you know, like what are the signs someone can look for in trying to recover for it? Because I feel like with burnout, it's the kind of thing you don't realize until it's too late. That's a good point. Uh, But sometimes 
you can look back and be like, oh, damn, there were a yeah. couple of signs, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. shit, I didn't see it at the time, but yeah. there were a couple of little red flags there. Something you might not know about burnout is, you know, very often we think that burnout is just caused by overworking, mm. but actually the number one cause of burnout is feeling a lack of control or powerlessness. Mm. And so for my clients, that's often why they are burned out on their job because they feel like they have no autonomy or when they feel like they're lost and they don't know what they want, they feel like they don't even have control over like the future of their lives because they haven't figured out what sort of path they want to be on. And so maybe, you know, figuring out why you're burned out first can be quite helpful because then you know what to work on to sort of boil it down to something like just overworking and work fewer hours it's not helpful for everybody yeah I mean of course we should be working reasonable hours but there's a huge a huge amount of people out there that are working regular hours and they're still burned out and so Mm do you know just sort of teasing apart and figuring out why you're burned out first is very helpful because then you know what to work on right Mm -hmm. the other thing I'll say about burnout is <laughs> and you know people will know this mentally but like we we really have to like embody it you can't recover from burnout by continuing to push through like it it's yes. not like it just goes away uh yeah. it's not that you're just not strong enough and you should try harder burnout is your body's way of saying stop something isn't working whether it's, you know, some sort of mental strain, you know, maybe some sort of physical strain, but for a lot of people, it's a mental and emotional thing. And so I actually have some people I work with that they're so burnt out by the time we start working together that they actually need a little bit of time to recover before they move Mm -hmm. to their next job. Right. And so we have to be very, very gentle when it comes to burnout because there's no way to bypass or trick the body into being better just because we want it to. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Burnout is like a flashing, like neon red light that says, stop, not this, slow down, like wrong way. And so, you know, the less we sort of heed the messages we're getting from our body, the stronger the body speaks back. And usually, you know, the worse the physical ailments get, the worse the sort of mental and emotional meltdowns get. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was unhappy in my track in academia, I really, you know, like most humans, tried to push it down at first. You can probably guess how that worked out because I ended up having a breakdown. (laughs) But there was a solid two years where I just thought, you know what, you worked really hard to get here. You should just power through this. And I kept getting signs from my body. My back kept going out. I started getting unexplained hives. I was exhausted all of the time. And those symptoms kept getting worse and worse and worse. And that's what happens for most people until the thing that is causing the stress stops. And so for Mm -hmm. me, it was getting off that path that felt bad. For most of my clients, It's finally throwing in the towel and saying, okay, this is not working. I can't Mm -hmm. force it to work. So I just need to 
admit what's true and like choose something else. And that's a very hard decision for people to make Yeah, because most people work very hard to get on the path that they're on, right? They put a ton Mm -hmm. of years and a bunch of money into school or something. It's not easy to just, you know, nobody just snaps their fingers and says, okay, it's time to do something different. Most people only come to that decision after they have struggled for a while. And, you know, myself included, I know what it's like. It's brutal. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of making me think like, there's always kind of the next thing you want to achieve. You know what I mean? So even if it's just a promotion, for instance, like you're working really hard, really hard, you get that promotion. But then you're like, okay, I'm going to continue working really hard so I can get a raise and so I can get another promotion and so I can get this title and make this move. And it's just too much, you know, and I feel like personally, like that's why I get so burnt out is because I'm always striving for the next thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's okay to just kind of coast sometimes, you know, once you kind of get that promotion or something like unwind and like just kind of, okay, take a step back and just let yourself unwind and then you know recharge and then you can kind of start working really hard for the next promotion when it comes time for that or something so yeah yeah, Sadie um, my dear you and I are wired exactly the same way (laughs) so (laughs) you and I are both strivers we're very ambitious it sounds like you're very ambitious right me too yeah and I'm a little older than you, so I feel like I should perhaps uh, share something a little bit about that. So you avoid some that. of the mistakes I've made. And this, <laughs> okay. is, for all, this is for all the ambitious folks listening. <laughs> um, ambition is beautiful. Like, I'm so happy that I'm ambitious. It's a wonderful quality to have. And it's really important to make sure that you are channeling your ambitions in the right direction, not just chasing ambition for the sake of ambition. One of the best quotes Mm. I ever heard, and I can't recall who said it, but it's like, if you're going to climb the ladder, make sure it's up against the right wall. Don't Mm. just chase Mm. something for the sake of chasing something. Because I love the chase, but I have had a couple of periods in my life, and I don't know, maybe you have too, I'm sure some of the listeners have, where it's like, you're chasing after something and you don't even realize until, you know, you're, you're, you know, almost all the way there, partway there. You're like, wait a minute, do I even really want this? Like, should I be devoting yeah. this much energy to this thing? And so like just pausing to like evaluate as you go along to make sure, do I still want this? Okay. Why do I want this? The question, why do I want this? I think is a very powerful question. Cause I'll tell you, yeah. I have pursued some things in my life, mostly in my twenties and early thirties. And if I was being honest with myself, the reason I was chasing it is because I was approval seeking. I wanted to impress people. Mm. I was approval seeking. And big surprise, when I chased after those things, the payoff never felt as good as I hoped it would. Um, So yeah, asking yourself why you want what you want, I think is a really, really good question to ask. And then also just pausing to reevaluate every now and then, if you're pursuing a long-term goal to say like, okay, do I still want this? Does it still feel good? I think that's Mm -hmm. really important just to make sure that you are striving in the right direction because ambitious is beautiful in the right direction. Yeah, Yeah. that is so, so true. And (laughs) yeah, I'm such a goal setter, but I never really think, why do I actually want that? And in my career, Mm -hmm. I'm always fixated on a job title. 
you know, like, okay, I want to go from a senior specialist to a manager, from a manager to this. But a lot of the time I'm not like, well, why do I want that? You know, or is that what I actually want? Like, what are the actual job responsibilities of a manager role or whatever it is? So I think that. Well, now you've got a question for your next journaling session. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, let's actually just whip out our journals right now. (laughs) Let's turn this into a journal with us episode because I'm ready to journal it out. (laughs) Yeah, that's so great. So kind of along the signs or lines of burnout. I think enforcing boundaries at work can really help you maybe avoid burnout or to nip it in the bud earlier than, you know, letting it pile up. So I'm sure like this kind of goes along with being ambitious is I have a really hard time setting boundaries at work. If it's work-life balance, you know, I'll definitely stay late or, you know, log in on weekends if I have to, or if somebody asks me for something ASAP, I'm like, yes, no problem. Mm-hmm. I'll drop everything and do this for you, even though that is not maintainable and then, or I guess sustainable. And then it just leads to burnout. So what would your advice be, or do you have any tips for enforcing boundaries at work? I sure do. So first of all, it's great that you recognize that that's not sustainable, right? Like it's just not. And so one of the best bits of advice I can give you and whoever's listening is it's important just to start practice setting boundaries. And I say practice because it's very hard at first, particularly with people who already know what our work habits are. So for example, your boss Mm -hmm. who asks something for ASAP, if you've been working with that person for like a year, let's say, and they ask and you say no problem every time, it's going to take a minute to set that boundary, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to have to practice and both of you are going to have to get used to that new boundary. So starting gently and practicing is really important because the truth is, if you're someone who struggled with boundaries, you're just not going to nail it on the first try. You're going to have so much anxiety Mm -hmm. about not saying yes right away, you know? So here's something you could try that works for my clients. So let's say you get the email at, you know, just before five on a Friday. And they're like, by the way, I need this giant project done. And they're used to you always saying yes. A great thing to do is to say, amazing, I'm going to prioritize this first thing Monday morning. So that's that's mm. a good thing to do because you're acknowledging the receipt of the request. Right. And you're mm-hmm. saying when you're going to work on it versus not just answering the email because they'll be like, oh, my God, like, why isn't she answering my email? You don't want them to get upset, but you also don't want to be on the yeah. working evenings and weekends. And so we we sort of have to practice language and let people know like, okay, this is a priority and here's when I'm going to do it. Or let's say you have a boss who's like just piling on way too much stuff Mm. that's not humanly possible to get done in your normal work hours to then go to that boss in a calm way when you're feeling calm about it and say like, hey, I have these various things going on. I don't suspect I'll be able to get through all of it in this amount of hours what do you think I should prioritize? Mm-hmm. And what do you want me to pass along to someone else or put on the back burner? And that way, yes. they're on the hook for the decision making around what your priorities are. You're mm-hmm. letting them know that it's too much. And so it's almost like 
this is an example of managing up. It's like you're sneakily making them a collaborator mm -hmm. <laughs> in the decision around what work you're going to do and when you're going to have it done by. So just yeah. experimenting with that is really good. In fact, the best time to, to be working with boundaries is actually when you start a new job. Because a precedent, yeah. a precedent hasn't been set yet for how you're going to respond to requests that are maybe like stepping over the line, right? Mm -hmm. And so I always tell my career change clients, we have to work on the boundary stuff before you make your career change so that you don't repeat this pattern of behavior in your new job, yeah. right? Someone, you yeah, know, someone so who's true. struggling with boundaries is and hasn't worked on it and hasn't practiced it is, you know, if you were to switch jobs, you'd probably go right into the next job and be a yes mm -hmm. person for the next boss too, right? Exactly. So it's, it's, it's important to practice and the best time to, to set your precedent is in a new job. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of just practicing these. I don't know if you'd call that a soft skill, but kind of, you know, yeah. even just like practicing having those conversations with your boss, like practicing those communication skills. Like I love the idea of practicing and knowing it's okay if you're not a master at this, if it's your first time trying it, you know, and yeah, I love that. It takes the that way of thinking of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, That's it takes so the edge off. And also it it's just not realistic to think you're going to nail it on the first try. Like you're probably going to yeah. have a ton of anxiety before you send that email, right? Like yeah. no, nobody nails anything on the first try, including boundary stuff. That's great advice. So I think we have one last question, which is maybe like your chance if there was something you really wanted to talk about that we didn't ask you. But what is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in their 20s regarding their career? Trust your instincts. In your 20s, you still have a mm -hmm. ton of people with a lot of opinions about what they think you should do with your life. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, even if those people love you very much, nobody knows you like you know yourself. And so if something feels wrong, that's probably true. If yeah. something mm -hmm. feels right, that's probably true. And only you know. And so, you know, honestly, that's the best advice I would give anyone in any decade, mm -hmm. but especially yeah. in your 20s, because your 20s is a really special time when, you know, you have parents, for example, who are, you know, still probably used to calling the shots and having lots of opinions mm -hmm. around what you do. And so I think if you want to have a happy career and a happy life, the more you can trust your instincts and acknowledge your feelings and just keep moving towards things that feel warm instead of cold, I think the happier you'll be in your work. Fantastic. I, I love, love that. that so yeah. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny you say that. Like I can think of a few times, you know, I talk to my parents and I'm like, okay, I'm thinking of this, like as my next move or whatever. And they're like, mm. We don't really know why, but go for it. You know, like they're very supportive where I'm lucky that yeah. way. But a lot of the time I'm like, no, I, I just have a feeling that this is what I'm supposed to do. And they're like, okay, if you think so. And then, yeah. you know, I try it and I meet, even if it's just 
doing something and like I meet somebody who then helps me get somewhere in my career like a few years down the line you know like I've had a bit of that and it's like I just can't explain it to other people but I always just follow my instincts and it Mm -hmm. hasn't led me wrong yet so I think that is knock on wood (laughs) but I think that's such great advice (laughs) yeah it works for me too yeah the more we can do that the happier we are yeah yeah fantastic Well, Sarah, I think that's where we're going to leave it. So do you want to share with our listeners where they can find you on social or your website and the kind of services you provide? Sure. Yeah. People can find me at careergasm.com. And actually, I have a really awesome free three-day course that people can take. If you happen to be someone who feels like you're on the wrong track, but you don't know what the right track is. So that like that confused, lost kind of person out there, and you want to figure out what matters to you and also find a way to like figure out the stuff you'd love to shed and not take into the next phase of your career. You can find that at careergasm.com. It's my free course. And I'm at careergasm on all of the social media. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As per usual, we're going to put Sarah's links in our description of this episode so you can find her. But as she said, it's at Careergasm on Instagram, or you can visit her website, careergasm.com. We are also going to be doing a giveaway. So we are going to be giving away a copy of Sarah's book, Careergasm. This will be hosted on our Instagram. So make sure you are following us at our golden twenties and you can find us not only on Instagram, but Facebook, Spotify, Pinterest, TikTok, all over the place. If you need more content, but definitely be sure to check out the book giveaway. Thank you so much for listening. See you next Tuesday.